Today on the Joel Klatt Show, I've got game previews plus the breakfast blitz. I got a new breakfast from Hampton to tell you about. And is Ohio State primed for a letdown? Coming up. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. Believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show. We are presented by Hampton by Hilton. Uh, thank you for joining us. Everything is going so well this college football year, and I absolutely am loving this season, and I'm glad you are as well. Thank you for being a part of the show. Uh, remember to continue to share this show with your friends uh, because college football is always better when we share it with a friend. You can follow us on social media at Joel Klatt Show. You can follow me on social media at Joel Klatt. Um, and, and quickly, if you're listening, subscribe to the show. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the show. Then you can comment and review and do all those different things. Also, I would just encourage you, a lot of people listen to podcasts in, in their car, on their commute, or on a walk, you know, walking the dog or whatever it is. Maybe you're on a jog right now. And that's great. And I'm really thankful for those of you that are, are listening via audio only. I would just share, there is some YouTube exclusive content that is video-based that is on the YouTube channel. So if you're, you're a pod listener and, and you haven't gone over to YouTube, go check it out and subscribe over there so that you can get some of that content as well. Okay, um, we've got a lot to get into. We've got good, really good games this weekend. A little change up as far as the schedule goes. I'll let you know uh, about that, where Gus, Ginny, and I will be, because it's actually not on Big Noon Saturday. We're going to do a different game this this um, this week, and it'll be a little bit later in the day, which means that you're going to have to get fueled up for multiple games. Okay, so it's not just the noon game that you got to get ready for, which is going to be Kansas hosting Oklahoma, but it's also the game right after that on Fox, which is going to be the game that I'm at which is Oregon at Utah. So because of that, we're going to kick off the breakfast blitz because I've got a hot breakfast that deserves the hype. It's the pumpkin spice waffles at Hampton by Hilton. I have had this. It is absolutely delicious. First of all, I'm a, like, I like pumpkin things, right? So I like the, I like pumpkin bread. Um, you put a little cream cheese frosting on it. That's delicious as well. You can, you can do the pumpkin spice waffles. These waffles are delicious and they're only available at Hampton by Hilton for the month of October. So make sure wherever you're headed, if you're going to a game, if you're going on a quick trip, if you're going somewhere, um, you know, maybe you're going to, I don't know, head out and have a little, whatever Halloween party. You're at Hampton by Hilton. Check out those pumpkin spice waffles. They are really, really good. So the breakfast blitz. Let's get things started. Let's start today's show with Oregon at Utah. Now, this is a game I am so excited for. When it when it came up in, in the summer and we saw the schedule and we saw what the draft might be as far as who might be able to select games, I, I circled this games at, at this game as one of the under-the-radar, like awesome, great games. And I thought, boy. It would be really awesome if we could do that game. And sure enough, that's what's going to happen. Oregon's favored by six and a half. Here's what's going on in this game is that Utah is coming off of that epic win against USC. Dan Lanning and company are trying to get themselves back in gear after the loss to Washington. 
Now they've they've gone out there and they they won a game that they should at home and and good for them. I love this Oregon team. They're physical. They're better than last year. They're much better than last year. I love this Utah team. I love everything about Utah. Death, taxes, Utah football. Here we are again. Utah off of that win last week at USC, and now they're going to get to play at home. And folks, they are really, really good at Rice-Eccles Stadium. That is one of the low-key best environments in college football. It's, it's also one of the toughest environments for a road team to win. And in fact, if you look at the numbers, they have won. 18 straight at home, 18 straight. And here's a little dig further into those numbers. All you've got to do is look at the last time that they lost at home, which was COVID, realize that there weren't any fans in the stands, and then you realize, huh, they've actually won 27 straight with fans in the stands in that environment in Rice-Eccles Stadiums. Stadium. Last loss there with fans, 2018. This team is really good, and I know they're banged up, but they're really good. They're very tough. They're physical. They know how they win. They know why they win. All of those things. Like Kyle Whittingham is one of the best coaches in the country. He's he's one of the most long-tenured coaches in the country, and they know how they win. Their identity is so solid. They're so physical at the line of scrimmage. I love what they do on on defense. And yet, here comes Oregon. And I'm really high on Oregon. Two really good football teams. And Oregon, if you're going to build a team that's going to go into a place that's maybe the toughest place to play in the conference, maybe even tougher than Husky Stadium where they, they lost that game a couple of weeks ago, what would you need? An experienced quarterback. There's never been a more experienced quarterback in our sport than Bo Nix. Bo has started 54 games in his career. Saturday is going to be his 55th start. That's absurd. That's absurd. That's the most of any player in college football history, at least FBS history. He's going to pass uh, uh, Kellen Moore and Colt McCoy. And those guys obviously played forever. So this, this guy is not going to be phased by the environment. He's played in big stages. He's played in big games. They're going to learn from what happened just a couple of weeks ago on the road in Seattle against Washington. This is not a team that's going to be phased by the environment, and yet it's an environment that nobody has overcome since 2018 when you're talking about fans in the stands. Again, 27 straight home wins for Utah with fans in the stands. This Utah team just doesn't lose at home. One area of concern for Utah is that they have not been great protecting the quarterback. Now, you could say like, well, Rising hasn't been out there and he can protect himself. And, and yes, and I understand that. And so you're going to have to go through some growing pains with backup quarterbacks and trying to find your footing on who that's going to be, whether it's going to be Bryson Barnes or Nate Johnson. Now it looks like they've settled on Bryson Barnes. And so there, there is going to be some growing pains as it relates to timing and, and protection, which they've had. And now they face an Oregon team and you look up front and they can really get after it. All right, so that's an area of strength for Oregon, and you would say maybe an area of weakness or concern for Utah. Now, Oregon's offensive line, conversely, they do not struggle protecting the passer. In fact, Bo Nix, he's one of the least sacked quarterbacks in college football. They've only given up four sacks, or at least Nix himself has only been four sacked. Uh, Nix himself has only been sacked four times this year. Get all of that out. 
It also helps when you get the ball out quickly, and that's exactly what he does. When you've started this many games, 54 times going on 55, what do you do well? Well, you operate the system. You're an efficient guy. You know where the football goes. And so part of the protection, remember they're replacing four offensive linemen from, from a year ago. Part of the reason why they have been able to maintain a level of dominance up front in pass protection is the fact that Bo protects himself. The ball is out quickly, and you can put numbers to this. He has the sixth fastest average time to release in the country. So, you know, like that bodes really well, in particular when you're facing a Utah team where their strength is getting after the passer. Okay, so Oregon feels like they're going to, even on the road, all right, even if they have to deal with a silent snap count and all of those different things, you've, you've got a sense that they may be able to neutralize a guy like Jonah Ellis. Jonah Ellis is, is excellent on the Utah defensive line. He's got 10 sacks. He's third in the nation. That entire defense, they get after it. We see that from Morgan Scally, the defensive coordinator. They are aggressive. They call plays to defeat tendencies, okay? Sometimes defenses just call structures in order to bend, don't break, and then there are other guys that call structures and defenses in order to defeat tendencies, and that's exactly what Morgan Scally tries to do. If I'm going back to the Oregon offense, I would just say that, like, Troy Franklin has impressed me quite a bit when I'm watching him on film. He's emerged as quite a threat. He's got five 100-yard games on the outside. That's tied for the most in Power 5. Um, and I like what they do in the run game. So this, this Oregon team is going to be well-suited to face this hostile environment. Meanwhile, Utah, it's been like duct tape and dental floss on this offense, trying to hold it together. And yet you look up and what are the, what, what are they doing? Exactly what Utah always does. They find someone to run the football and then they find a gritty tough leader type at the quarterback position that can move the ball down the field. Now, was it always pretty against USC? No, it wasn't always pretty. Do they throw the ball great? No, they don't throw the ball great, but they will move the ball by any means necessary, whether it's Jaquinta Jackson, who's getting healthier or safety slash running back. Now, Sione Vaki. I mean, how about the revelation that he is Vaki? You, you sit there and you're like, well, why wasn't he playing running back the whole time? Oh, because he's still a really good safety. I wonder in the back of my mind, like how much did the the two-way play from Travis Hunter early in the season influence some of these coaches on like, hey, well, let's give it a try. I mean, if Travis Hunter can do it, maybe some of our really good athletes can do it. And here's Vaki. He had over 200 total yards and a couple touchdowns last week versus USC. He ran for over 150 yards and two touchdowns against Cal the previous week. Oh, and by the way, he's still playing safety. So I love that. I love that. They will be creative. Remember what I said about Utah on Monday. Creativity and toughness. That's what you're going to get when you face Utah. Bryson Barnes, their quarterback, was not on scholarship to start the season. Now he is on scholarship. He is in the same vein of Cam Rising. He's not as talented as Cam Rising, but he's in the same vein. He's going to give you those tough runs on the outside, and we saw that against USC, lowering his shoulder a couple of times. And he's a guy that they really believe in. Remember, his teammates voted him a captain. That's, that's a big part of the locker room dynamic. And so here we are. We've got a team that is piecing it together, that is great at home, that is the two-time defending Pac-12 champion facing an Oregon team that seems, at least in my estimation, to be primed to make a run even after the loss to Washington. 
They've got an incredibly experienced quarterback in Bo Nix, talent on the outside, a defense that is only going to get better, and I think they're going to get more healthy at corner, which is going to help them. Oregon favored by six and a half, probably too much. Not going to give my pick, but probably too much. 27 straight home wins with fans in the stands. I think we're in for a treat. That is going to be the 3.30 Eastern game on Fox. Gus, Jenny, and I will be there. We're not on Big Noon this weekend. We're back there at 3.30 Eastern time, 1.30 local in the Mountain Time Zone as Oregon takes on Utah. All right, now the Big Noon game. Okay, so Kansas will host Oklahoma earlier in the day. Um, Jason and Brock and Allison will handle the call of that game. Big noon kickoff will be live from Lawrence. All your your normal times. So you've got, you've developed a pattern, and and we're so appreciative of it. Those of you that have come over and watched Big Noon kickoff, and there are millions of you. So thank you for that. So same time they're live from Lawrence. Then you've got Big Noon, Kansas and Oklahoma. Then Gus and Jenny and I will come on with the game after that. Oregon and Utah. So let's get into this game. Oklahoma. Um, at Kansas. I might have been saying that wrong. Kansas hosting Oklahoma. I, I hope you all got that. Oklahoma is favored by 10, by the way. They've won 18 straight against the Jayhawks, all by double digits. OU coming off that scare last week. So, you know, I think they're going to have their attention set right squarely on this game. Kansas is nothing to scoff at. Only two losses on the year. And you look at that UCF game, Oklahoma didn't play their best. Maybe there was a bit of a hangover after a bye after the Red River win. But they fended off quite a scare. UCF had a two-point try late in that game in order to tie the, the, the thing up, and it didn't go their way. Um, I look at this OU team. I'm a big fan of Dylan Gabriel and what he's doing this year. And yet, they're not a team that's running the football nearly as efficiently as they need to in order to continue this stretch. Why do you find yourself in such a close game against UCF? Well, because you're relying on things that are and you hate to say it this way, but unreliable. We talked about this on Monday with a team like Michigan, who relies on things that are reliable. Run game, toughness, physicality. Whereas OU, they don't have that run game this year. They just have not been dynamic in the run game. They don't dominate stretches of games in the run game, which means that it's going to be more about Dylan Gabriel and the timing and the efficiency and the rhythm of the passing game. Now, when it's good, and it generally is good because Dylan is playing so well, it's really good. And guys like Nick Anderson can have huge impacts on the game. I love Nick Anderson. I think he's one of the better young players, in particular at the wide receiver position in the country. He was a big bright spot, uh, bright spot last week for OU. He had five catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns. He's never going to overwhelm him with the volume of catches because this is an offense that, just really quickly – has to be tailored to Dylan Gabriel in that he's more of a point guard and he's going to be quick pass and get the ball out of his hands as, as quickly as he can. And yet, Anderson is more of a guy that wants to threaten the defense down the field. So they've got to pick and choose their spots of when they're going to try to take the shots to Anderson down the field. Now, they've, they've done a great job of choosing the correct times and then executing in those opportunities. And the evidence is five catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns. He leads the Big 12 with eight touchdowns this year, and he's second in the country, averaging 24 yards per catch. Again, he's not going to be a big volume guy, but he is going to be a big production guy because of the nature of that offense and how they have to operate. This Sooners defense, 
they're better than last year. There's no doubt. Now they gave up a couple of big plays last week against UCF, but this is a defense that is fitting more in the mold of what Brent Venables wants to be, which is an attacking style of defense, a defense that disrupts. Again, a little bit like Utah in this sense, and their coordinator, Morgan Scali, OU, what they want to do is defeat tendencies. So they want to call their defense late, see your you know, play call, and then get into a defense that they feel like can defeat what you're trying to do, your formation, your tendency, the situation at bear. They, I think that they've been pretty good, by the way. They've been attacking. They're first in the country with over nine tackles for loss per game. They're second in the country with 12 interceptions. So they're doing the things necessary to make an impact on the game. And this is a defense that's way better than they were a year ago. Remember, I told you earlier in the in the season, a big part of what hindered them last year was their lack of depth on the defensive line and in the front seven overall. And because of that, they were having to play guys, shoot, 80, 85, 90 plays a game down the stretch in November. And they felt like their fourth quarters in November were not very good. And this year, they do have that depth through six transfers on the defensive line alone. And, and so they talk about their competitive depth being something that they're going to try to rely on on the defensive side as we come down the stretch. Kansas's defense has struggled, struggled stopping the run, so maybe OU's run game can get going against Kansas's defense. And then Kansas, they're coming off their bye week. They're 5-2. and two. They're averaging 35 points per game, which is 21st in the country. But it doesn't look like they're going to have Jalen Daniels, as Coach Lance Leipold has said, that he is doubtful for Saturday's game. So it's probably going to be their backup, Jason Bean. He started the last four games. Last game out, he did throw for 400 yards, but it was a loss to Oklahoma State. Kansas's offense is pretty good. This is a strength against strength. I like OU's defense. I like Kansas's offense. Kansas's offense, seventh in the country in yards per play at over, over seven yards per play. Now, do I think Oklahoma is going to play much better? Yes. Is Kansas going to be equipped with their backup quarterback to stay with Oklahoma? No. Oklahoma has won 18 straight, all by double digits. They're favored by double digits, and I believe that they cover. I like Oklahoma, and I'm giving the 10. Hey, it's my favorite time of year. It's football season. And as you know, I take it seriously. So when I'm traveling on the road to watch my favorite teams, I cannot risk calling the wrong play with where I stay. So wherever I go, I know that I can count on Hampton by Hilton. I can depend on their comfortable rooms and their warm and friendly service. Their free hot breakfast, by the way, game changer. Remember, in October, pumpkin spice waffles, they're delicious. So whether you're cheering on your team from the stands or never leaving the tailgate, Hampton by Hilton will always give you that win. Let's move on. Uh, what used to be called the world's largest cocktail party, now I don't even know what they call it, but Georgia and Florida are going to tangle. And it has not gotten much love or, or hype or talk, partly because of the way that Florida has played, and then partly because I think people wondering what Georgia is going to be without Brock Bowers. This is my biggest question of this game, is what is Georgia going to look like without their best player? I talked on Monday about out pitches. Teams that have to play and win at the top of college football have to have an out pitch. Ohio State had Marvin Harrison Jr. last week. You get the sense that Michigan has J.J. McCarthy. You know that Georgia has Brock Bowers, but now that he is out, where do they go? 
Are they going to need something like that? It leads to the next question I have for this game. Which Georgia shows up? I think that that's a, a legitimate question. Which Georgia will we get against Florida? Now, you would imagine that they would be the engaged, dominant team that we saw against Kentucky. But you can't rule out that they are the sleepwalking team that we saw against South Carolina. Stretches against Auburn, especially early in those games. Right? So, like, which, which one is it? This was the moment of the season last year where we saw them take off. Saw them just remain dominant. After that, they, they kind of fumbled through that, that slow win against Missouri. Kirby came on and said, it's hard to win on the road in the SEC, as opposed to like anywhere else, like Utah, who's won 10, 27 straight with fans in the stands. But I digress. That was the point where they started to take off. Now, Bowers was never hurt. They had an experienced quarterback. This is a different team. So now it's Carson Beck's team. He doesn't have Bowers. Where do they go? Where do they lean? Beck's been pretty good, by the way. If you look down, you know, Carson Beck, you look at the numbers, he's averaging over 300 yards per game, 12 touchdowns. Um, he has thrown a pick in each of his last three. So that's just something to, to pay attention to. And then there's Florida, who, who lost, by the way, to said Utah team to start the year. And Florida quietly has gotten better and better. No one's been watching them because of what happened early. But now you look up and you're like, hold on a second. Did Graham Mertz really throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns in that game against South Carolina and lead a 10-point fourth-quarter rally? And you're like, is this the same Graham Mertz that I saw at Wisconsin? And you're like, yep, that's the case. Maybe Florida is turning a little bit of a corner. Florida has won five of six since that season opening loss to Utah. And the questions around Georgia are there. So now Georgia's favored by 14 and a half against a team that's way more confident, knows who they are, has a quarterback that's playing their best football, and Georgia is going to go out there without Brock Bowers. I don't like the 14 and a half. I just don't. Now, is Georgia going to win? Yes. Georgia is going to win. But without Bowers, I don't see how they have the gear Maybe they do, and maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm totally wrong. Maybe, you know, you've got the, the Dominic Lovett, the transfer wide receiver. He's in the slot. Maybe it's, it's Thomas who had that nice touchdown catch against Kentucky. Maybe it's Ladd McConkey who's getting healthier after some of those back issues earlier in the season. So maybe they have it. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. But at least at this point, it's fair to question, like, where's Georgia going to go in crunch time? Where's their out pitch? What happens if Florida has the lead? If it's a close game in the fourth quarter? We saw what happened against Auburn. What did they do? Bowers, Bowers, Bowers. And then they won the game. So what happens if Florida plays well? Which I think that they might. That's a confident team. Basically, here's what I'm telling you. I like Georgia to win because they've got championship medal. I don't like them to cover the 14 and a half. So if, if I was a, you know, inclined to make a wager, I would take Florida in that one. There's something about it. And you know what? I'm probably going to come on here on Monday and be like, did, did I really buy into Graham Mertz after calling all of those games, seeing what he did in the late against Penn State, late against 
Notre Dame, like all these different games. Like I saw those. And yet I'm like, okay, well, he's more experienced. He's starting to play a little bit better. 10 point comeback, fourth quarter, rally to win 41 39 against South Carolina. Again, I don't think Florida's going to win, but I think that they 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 keep it within the 14 and a half. Let's go up to Madison. Speaking of Wisconsin, where Mertz left and transferred from, Wisconsin's going to be hosting Ohio State after that huge win over Penn State. Now, same number as the Georgia-Florida game, 14 and a half. And yet, this Ohio State team getting healthier. So their questions and concerns, in particular on offense, are actually going to be alleviated. Ryan Day said he believes that Travion uh, um, Henderson and Emeka Abuka and Denzel Burke will be available this week. Now, even if they aren't, we know that they can go win, and they can win at the top end of college football with their outpitch, Marvin Harrison Jr. But when you give them the full compliment, boy, don't you feel a lot better about the Buckeyes. Now, this is going to be billed as kind of like the Luke Fickle alma mater coach there for a year. You know, he's he's coaching against their team. I don't think that that's going to bear a lot in this game. Wisconsin, big gritty win against Illinois a week ago over Brett Bielema. The Badgers trailed by 14 in the fourth. They were able to come back. And in true Wisconsin fashion, you got to love this, threw a touchdown to an offensive lineman in order to win the game in the final minute. So Fickle is now going to be facing Ohio State. And Ohio State has been dominant over Wisconsin over the last, what, nine, 10 meetings. They've won nine straight meetings with Wisconsin. The last win for Wisconsin was back in 2010. That was with Scott Tolzien. They knocked off the number one team in the country, the Ohio State Buckeyes, that day. Um, I do think that Harrison's going to still get a lot of targets, even if Abuka is back on the field, even if Henderson is back on the field offensively. They just feel like they're leaning into Harrison. And I know it coincides with Abuka going down in that Maryland game, but he's gotten 42 targets over the last three game uh, games, 16 against Penn State alone. And there is some path, as you know, from yesterday's podcast, like there's a path for number 18 to win the Heisman Trophy. We've seen it with a, a wide receiver, by the way, with Devontae Smith just a couple of years ago. So it's not out of the question from a position standpoint. And if he continues to dominate and they continue to throw him the ball 12 to 16 times a game, his numbers are going to be there from a volume perspective. He's not going to trade or share votes with his quarterback. So, you know, Harrison, they've got something to play for. I don't think you're going to see a letdown. They also rely on things that are reliable, especially on defense. This new philosophy on defense, this, I don't want to call it bend, don't break, because they're still playing aggressive. They're playing man coverage, but they always have a post safety back deep. And because of that, they're not giving up the big play. And because of that, they're one of the best defenses in college football. They are not giving up cheap touchdowns. That's what killed them a year ago, and specifically in those losses to Michigan and Georgia. They've been really good against the run, and they were excellent against Penn State's really good run game last week. Now they face Braylon Allen. Braylon Allen is one of the better backs in the conference, really one of the better backs in the country. He got it 29 times a week ago for 145 yards against Illinois. He's averaging 100 yards per game this year, as he did for really each of the last couple of years. I just don't love the fact that Wisconsin's going to have a backup quarterback, even though they're at home. You look at what Iowa was able to do to them, even in their home stadium, you know, as far as the way their defense played and shut down that offense. I think Ohio State's defense is really, really good. So 14 and a half, I'm taking Ohio State. And I think that they win by more than that. 
Buckeyes win. No letdown after Penn State. Uh, all right, out here in Los Angeles, Colorado's going to come out here after that bye week. Haven't seen them since that 29-0 lead at halftime, then the debacle in the second half against Stanford, and now Prime's going to bring out Shadur Sanders, and they're going to face UCLA. UCLA's favored by 17 in this game. Um, if you hadn't noticed, UCLA did make, make a change at quarterback. Last week, Ethan Garbers got the start. Chip has been a little bit tight-lipped about exactly who we're going to see between he and, and freshman Dante Moore. Remember, Dante Moore has just been struggling making the massive mistake. You can make mistakes as a young player. You just can't make the massive mistakes. And this guy, you know, throwing the pick sixes in those losses, in particular when you're losing by a score, that's, that's hard to take. Garbers was pretty good against Stanford, albeit against Stanford. 240 yards, two touchdowns. They won 42-7. to seven. UCLA's got that great rush rush game. Top 10 rushing game in college football. They rush it for over 200 yards per game. This is a matchup problem for CU in a lot of different ways. One, CU's defense, not very good at all, in particular stopping the run. And they're going to face one of the best running teams in college football. Colorado does not protect the passer all that well, and Shador doesn't protect himself. Remember, he holds the ball way too long and, and makes some poor decisions late in down situations like fourth down. And this is a great pass rush. Latu has got, what, six and a half sacks on the year. Um, UCLA is top 10 in the country rushing the quarterback. Colorado is bottom two in the country as far as protecting the passer. That is a bad matchup for Colorado. It's a bad matchup for Colorado's defense. You know, we'll see if Travis Hunter and how healthy he's going to be because, remember, he faded down the stretch in that fourth quarter after trying to coming back trying to come back from that lacerated liver and played 157 snaps, which is mind-blowing in that loss against Stanford. The question for me is going to be like, can Colorado get anything from the run game? Because offensively, I do think that they're going to score some points. The question becomes like, are you giving a short field to UCLA? That's number one. Can you get off the field on any third down? And then can you provide Shador any amount of schedule in a down sequence through the run game? Can you throw it on second and short and not on second and long? That's going to be a big part of this game. UCLA is favored by 17. I do think Colorado is going to play well offensively, so I don't like the 17. I think UCLA wins the game, but Colorado covers the 17. Last game, and you know that I'm going to keep harping on this, Air Force! Here we go, Air Force. Let's go. Number 19 in the country, highest-ranked group of five team in the country right now, on their way to a New Year's Six game, and now they've got an in-state rivalry. They play Colorado State. Wow. I just realized we're hitting all the Colorado teams. I love this. I love this. Now, Air Force is favored by 12 on the road at Colorado State. Remember, this is a rivalry game, and, and Air Force is not a team that's going to just run and hide from everyone, pun intended, because it's a great running game. Run and hide from everybody. Troy Calhoun... I love Troy Calhoun, the head coach for Air Force. He could have been coaching in a lot of different places, but last week he's like, oh, yeah, Zach Larrier, he's not going to play for a while. Then Zach Larrier started in the Saturday's win over Navy through a 94-yard touchdown pass. Um, they're running it for over 300 yards per game. They're the best rushing team in college football. And yet, Colorado State, they've been involved in some wild games and close games the entirety of the season. It started with that. Remember when, when what, 8 million of us stayed up late and watched Colorado State in Colorado. That was a double overtime game. Then they beat Boise State two weeks ago in what can only be described as one of the craziest games of the college football season. They won on a Hail Mary late in that game after trailing by 20 in the fourth. Epic comeback at home. 
They lost to UNLV last week. UNLV is having a really good season, by the way. They lost to UNLV. There was four lead changes in the last four minutes. CSU went ahead with a field goal over a good Rebel team with 44 seconds left. And then UNLV was able to get down and get into field goal range and kick a field goal as time expired. 12 is too much. As much as I love Air Force, and I think Air Force will win the game, Colorado State does not get beat by, by big margins, in particular at home. I mean, look at these games that they've played this year. You've got to expect that Colorado State is going to be in this game. The problem for Colorado State is that I don't love their run defense, and they're going to get a healthy dose of run game. And facing that specific run game is just unique and difficult, and it's almost impossible to stop. Air Force for life, love the Falcons, and I hope that they go to the New Year's Six and represent all the academies in what would be the biggest bowl game for an academy. Shoot, top of my head. In recent and like modern college football history, I can't think of another major bowl game that a service academy was in. I'll try to get that. I'll have it for you next week. Um, I really appreciate all of you, the college football fan, for, for listening and watching this program. You can follow us on social media at Joel Class Show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're at. If you're just a listener, thank you. Really appreciate you. And just remember, there's also exclusive content on YouTube that is video-based, some X's and O's that we throw out there. So even if you just listen and you want a few shorts, you know, five, six-minute videos, go over there and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. It's going to be a great week of college football. I cannot wait to be in Utah and see that environment. Oregon, Utah, Gus, Jenny, and I will be there. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we will see you on Monday.